Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, houseplants, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And this week we've cooked up a very special episode to celebrate our 40th week on the air. The Woohoo! Oh, yeah. 40 weeks! Lordy, lordy, look who's turning 40. So, the... Wands and Fronds is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the unofficial theme this week is a throwback to a simpler and more uh, budget friendly time for Shannon and myself. So, it's uh, <laughs> Sippin' 40s week. And whoop, whoop. I am talking about tipsy witches in my segment on alcohol and witchcraft. And talking about a true legend of hospitality, Radagast. Yay. I'm so excited. Um, I think it's very sweet for you to call it like a more budget-friendly time. Because Nick and I were fucking poor college students like not that long ago. It might have been a little bit ago. But we're going to say not that long ago to make me not feel 100 years old. Um, and some of you might know, I've actually recently quit drinking. So when we were talking about like throwbacks to that period of our life, I was like, well, I can definitely dig into a slightly different mind altering substance that I do still love and consume weed. So I'm going to talk about spell work while stoned. And of course, I'm also smoking tonight. This is kind of like a slumber party recording session for us. So I'm going to be a little silly, but you know, I uh, I think that giving up alcohol for me has been really nice, but there's apparently this new term that I kind of hate called California sober, and it's people who don't drink but will do things like smoke weed and, like, take a little bit of mushrooms or something. Oh, yeah. So I guess technically I'm California sober, but oh my god, I just hate that. I'm like, I don't think I've heard anyone actually in California use that term. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's awful. Uh, and I hate it too. Right? And I'm all the way in Texas saying I hate it. So, um, but yeah, you know, uh, Sippin' 40s kind of came to mind for the 40th episode. Uh, because we, we always used to listen to that gravy train song. Yeah. I had some 40s on my mind when I woke up this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but oh my goodness. So, Super fun episode for you guys, and kind of leading in, uh, we wanted to talk about Radagast. Uh, so since we're talking about adult beverages, we thought it would be kind of a fun play on the theme and pay a little homage to my Czech heritage and talk about one of the old Slavic gods, Radagast, who is said to be the god of sacred hospitality. And a fun fact about Radagast is that there is a brewery in the Czech Republic, uh, called Radagast. So, uh, definitely something that's had a cultural impact. But, you guys, you might be wondering to yourself why I said he was said to be the god of sacred hospitality. Yeah, Nick, why is he said to be the god of sacred hospitality? Well, that is just a really great question. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, so, after spending hours in a research rabbit hole, uh, the answer here is very similar to what we were talking about with Green Man in the UK. So when we were, when we did our episode about Green Man, you know, it kind of came up, just a little refresher for you guys, that, you know, Green Man is uh, built onto a lot of these old churches, and so there was kind of an assumption that it was a deity that had been forgotten by time, and so, uh, and actually, I think we should post this on the Instagram, but there's all these uh, sort of statues of Radagast, or what they say is Radagast in the Czech Republic. 
And these things, he almost kind of looks like a Mayan warrior with like this big kind of bird headdress and a, a fucking spear. Very fearsome. But, it, you know, that kind of shape of it, it doesn't seem very European. Uh, yeah. We can definitely, I'll place a link in the description of this podcast too to that episode where you cover the green man because I found out you can do that. <laughs> Love that. So, much like the green man, it's it's got to do with these statues. And so these statues are actually of uh, Svarusik, uh, who is like a pan-Slavic deity. So when we're talking about Slavic peoples, there's a bunch of different tribes of Slavic peoples uh, that covers a very large geographical area. But they all worshipped uh, Svarozik and uh, Svarog, who was the sort of the Odin or the Zeus figure in this Slavic pantheon. And he was the god of fire and the sun. And so in order to represent these different phases that the sun goes through in the year, aka the seasons, they depict him in different ways. And there was... sort of confusion from people who would be visiting these areas thinking that it's a separate god and it's it's sort of like the the spring version and the the winter version of the same god and also with that helmet with the bird it's usually a swan and it's he's got a shield with the bull on it uh and so sporozik was the god of fire uh and yeah it, it's all about the costumes, right? And the costume, you know, speaking of which, one of the stories about Radagast has to do with costuming. Uh, so, you know, kind of pop a pin in that. Uh, That's a whole mood that, like, costuming is key. Cost- I'm here for costuming it. Costuming is key. Uh, so it should also be noted here that there's kind of a linguistic peculiarity at play. So Sporozik's cult had a taboo where you couldn't say his true name out loud and radagast which is which means honored guest or dear guest they think might have been like a colloquialism because you couldn't refer to sferozic directly oh that's really interesting right uh and so to top it all off radagast was also the name of a place so uh, it, it's a town surrounded by a sacred forest, and they had all sort of temples to all of the Slavic deities there. Uh, and after it was written about by Adam of Bremen, who was a German historian, uh, and one of the earliest like ethnographers who was writing about these people that lived in these Slavic areas. Um, so we kind of see the Radagast myth taking shape sort of based on a misunderstanding of this uh, linguistic peculiarity. So they think Radagast is his own thing, and they're pretty much saying he's his own thing. Um, and it's it's a huge misunderstanding, because it's actually Sferuzic. Uh Yeah, language is really interesting. It reminds me, I took this really great um, class in the Religious Studies Department when I was an undergrad, And we were talking about that weird saying in the Bible that it's easier for um, a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Like everyone's heard that, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It turns out apparently it's like the word 
for rope and camel, those two words um, are very similar. And so they think it was at some point just like basically a transcription arrow. Because if you think about it, uh, putting rope through the eye of the needle is like actually much more logical than talking about a fucking camel right. uh, through uh, an uh, eye uh, of a needle. A camel, that's... Yeah, well, I, th- so, yeah, I think because like well, it's like the Bible was translated uh, from Hebrew into Greek into Latin. In- and some of it was in Coptic, which is what my professor is like one of the few world specialists in, which is kind of like Greek, but in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Love that. So you need like the right. whole Rosetta Stone to even like get the actual translation yeah it's the weirdest like linguistic game of telephone so yeah it's like the thing in the bible where they say sodomite but actually they meant pedophile not gay people um Oy. but anyway so it's it's um it's it's a linguistic misunderstanding but i think the simple fact that we really want to focus on here is that slavic people believe the in the idea that hospitality was sacred and they were famous throughout pre-Christian Europe for exactly this. So it was sort of like a central tenet of the old Slavic paganism that if you were hosting someone, you had to be the most hospitable person you could, which is why they have the brewery named after Radagast, of course, is because it's all about hospitality, like offering beer or wine and good food and you know like being a good host and so the greeks and romans had myths about gods disguised as like tired travelers seeking the kindness of good samaritans and either you know punishing the people who turned them away or sort of revealing themselves at the last minute and rewarding these hospitable citizens but even they knew. So it's like it's like the mean witch at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast who curses the beast. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, it's like uh, Zeus pulled some shit like that. And it's like, you know, what are you going to do? When when Zeus is mad, your city gets... When old Zeus is pissed off. <laughs> yeah, your city gets flooded. But it's like, so they, you know, it's like the, these stories come up again and again and again. And that's why they're sort of archetype stories. But this, even among people who were scared to not give good hospitality, and, you know, Mediterranean people are famous for their hospitality as well. But even they looked up to the Slavic people for their very, very specifically good hospitality. So I love that. So, what I mean, it's like, but it's like, what is hospitality? Like I said, it's like, if... Someone is in need, you take them in. You give them your good drinks. Fine wine. You know, it's like you give the best that you have to offer out of the kindness of your heart. Um, And I think that's just really cool. You know, it's like the, I, the idea that this was like a, a religious belief for them is what I think is cool about the whole thing. And, you know, like what better than an episode about getting drunk and high than talking about just some good old fashioned hospitality. Uh, So. Oh yeah. You should always give like 
the first glass of nice wine to a guest or like, you know, you let your company take the first hit after you load a bowl. These are just things you do. These are things you do. Uh, But I would say it's not all bad news for the Radagast lovers that do exist out there. Uh, Because like the Green Man, you know, we love the idea of Radagast and what he stands for. And there's certainly like this basis in reality for Slavic people living their lives in this scrupulously hospitable way. Uh, And it's I feel like it's also kind of like a tulpa situation. Like if enough people believe in something and put energy into it, it's just as real as anything else at the end of the day. Right. Which is kind of why I, I was thinking about Green Man and like, you know, sort of the Celtic and English revival versions of paganism. Because that's exactly what's going on here, is that we've tried to piece together what... I mean, because Christianity really, you know, burned and salted the earth with old religions. Uh, You know, they kind of wanted to cement over the whole thing and start over fresh. So there's actually not just a shit ton to go on, on some of these religions that didn't have like a strong written tradition of their own. And so a lot of the stuff that is written, that is preserved, was written by people who were like, these people are savages. I don't know what the fuck's yeah. going on. Uh, it's all like secondhand. But I do think the comparison to Green Man is like the perfect analogy here. Right. And, but, you know, he's kind of a badass in the legends that do seem to directly describe Radagast. So I would say let's carry on with some of that. So supposedly... In the year 1066, so not that long ago, uh, during a pagan rebellion against Christianity, Johann Scotus, the Bishop of Mecklenburg, was supposedly sacrificed to Radagast, for which he was made a martyr. Uh, So I'm not saying that all bishops should be sacrificed, but considering how brutal baby Christianity was, I think there's a decent chance that he had it coming. There's also a very good chance that the Christians in the area who were hell-bent on converting people were not being very hospitable. Uh, and so it seems like an appropriate thing to yeah. sacrifice yeah. a I bishop mean, in the name of. <laughs> we have to remember that like early Christians are the people who would have, like they literally sent children on a crusade at one point because they ran out of fucking adults. Right, the Children's Crusade? Yeah, what a fucking yeah. great idea. Give kids swords and send them to the quote-unquote holy land. Yeah, uh, that's not going to turn out like shit. So, but there's also a famous legend about Radagast and the moon goddess, Horse. So, which sounds like horse, yes. But it does not mean horse. She doesn't have anything to do with horses, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, I'm disappointed. For all the- I thought I was about to get a horse story. No. So for all you horse girls <laughs> out there, uh, this is not for you. Uh, but so Yeah, you can be disappointed over here in the corner with me. It's fine. So basically the story goes that there's a love triangle situation where horse is in love with Radagast, who is uninterested in her advances, which being the goddess of the moon, you know, seems like you couldn't do much better than that for a girlfriend, but... Whatever. Uh, yeah, like, what fucking, what kind of standards does this guy have? Right. I mean, you know, maybe she wasn't hospitable enough. You know what? Good point. So, but, so then we have Strybog, who is the god of wind, 
who is in love with Horse and is sort of seething with jealousy that she's pining over Radagast and pays him zero attention. You know, he's like, he's like the, the ultimate nice guy. He's like, mm, I'm, you know, it's like, I love you so much and you won't pay attention to me. And yeah, it's like, I love you. So I deserve you to love me back. Right. So Strybog hatches a plan to steal Radagast's cloak. I told you it was going to come full circle with it being about the costume uh, and trying to seduce horse late at night when apparently just a cloak is enough of a disguise to impersonate another person. Uh, It must have been a very iconic piece of fashion. That's all I have to say. I mean, we've all seen from the movies that when you have a cloak on, you definitely can't see a person's face. Duh. No, absolutely not. (laughs) So the plan works to a certain extent. Strybog finishes the deed, so to speak, uh, but gets caught in his impersonation attempt by Radagast, who is absolutely furious. But it is noted in the legend that he does not give a shit about the very rapey activities the cloak was used for. He is just literally such a hype beast that he's like, give me back my fucking cloak. And so, which- Yeah, I like that this is about the cloak here. That's the issue. That's the issue. That is the fucking (laughs) issue. Uh, Which of course makes Horse feel awful. Because how could you not? Like you've just been violated and the dude's- are fighting over the fucking cloak, you know? Uh, fucking men. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> ladies. <laughs> uh, so then there's, you know, the gods are fighting, the god of wind, the moon goddess, the god of sacred hospitality are fucking fighting with each other. So they have like a council of gods type meeting, you know, think Slavic Mount Olympus. Uh and so they take up this case. It's it's courtroom time. And what are we going to do about the theft? There's also a new baby goddess who, you know, needs a job now and like a thing to be the goddess of. And they make absolutely zero progress on it, uh, which it's, it's funny that they included in the myth because they're like, yeah, we had to have a whole like council of the gods meeting and couldn't figure it out. Uh, it's like bureaucracy is bullshit, and we really need to remind you of that right now. Right. Uh, but so a uh, horse wanted the baby to be the goddess of autumn. Uh, their failure to reach any binding decision leaves the job unoccupied, and it becomes the shared property of a couple of different goddesses, including the baby, which is called Ziva. Um, so just like a fun little Radagast backstory there. Uh, apparently he really he's really into his cloak uh but but i mean you know he's he's always kind of the, the traveler right the bulk of the radagast myths kind of play out like i was talking about where you know it's he's this this weary tired traveler and he just needs somewhere to stay for the night and if you offer him the goods the good hospitality you know, get out the fine china, then you're going to be richly blessed and have like a Dionysian style feast. And, you know, you're going to have a good harvest and, and all of this great shit. And if not, yeah, you could die. You could lose everything. 
your house could burn down, you know, radic- hmm. Yeah, or your entire staff could be turned into furniture. That's true. That is, that could happen. <laughs> uh, but so I personally find this idea that like showing good manners and hospitality is like a sacred thing and should be part of the culture. It, it's, it's a good thing. You know, as Martha would say, it's a good thing. Uh, and I think we as witches have such a responsibility to improve the world. And this is really such an easy way to do that is just something to have in the back of your head. Like, even if you're not entertaining a possible God, it's good to share with people in your home. And it is great to get to know someone over a few drinks. And you might not end up rich, but you will be richer for the experience. And that, to me, cannot be bad. And I think that's sort of the purpose of these myths is, is kind of to say that there, there is inherent value in being a good host. And I, I'm like, let's bring it back. Let's, let's make that part of our practice, you know? So Yeah, I love that. Like, part of our practice and just part of our life. Right. So, and it's like last week we talked about how sharing your Lunasa feast with friends and neighbors would be like a nice way to honor the spirit of the season. And when we're thinking about Radagast and what he stands for, I think that really sort of drives the point home. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this harvest season, like the, the late summer, early fall harvest season. And Radagast seems, you know, it's like, it's about that. Yeah. Uh, and I also feel like this would be like a good patron god to think about for maybe people who own or manage hotels and restaurants or even breweries. I mean, you know, like, but also, I mean, if, if this speaks to you and this is the kind of energy you want for your home, I also think, you know, that there wouldn't be any harm in maybe making some offerings to Radagast. And so to kind of finish out my little section here, um, Radagast was said to be especially fond of horns. And horns from all types of animals were supposedly in his temple. And again, it could have been uh, Sporozig's temple, but, you know, horns was the thing. So I think it's sort of a no-brainer if this is something you think you would be interested in to put out like a horn of wine or mead on your altar. And before PETA comes for me, goats, deer, and rams shed horns and antlers all the time without having to die. Yeah, yeah. And you can get affordable drinking horns that have already been made into cups at the Renaissance Festival (laughs) and animals are not harmed. So please fuck off uh i mean or if you live in a if you live near austin let me know because my uncle andy is basically giving away sheds all the time i don't know if you remember this weird side story at my wedding the photographer that we hired he's kind of like a hipster dude and so he was really interested in getting more of like the deer antler sheds because like hipsters fucking love them and my uncle andy was like yeah just come back with a fucking truck I'll just load up a bunch of deer sheds for you. Yeah, I mean, because I know they have a bunch of deer out on that land, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you know, hit us up. Maybe we could get you some antlers. Uh, But I would say also, like, making a toast to Radagast seems very appropriate as well. 
Yeah, yeah. That seems like the most appropriate. And, you know, I would say, you know, next time you want to pour one out for the homies, pour a little out for Radagast, too. You know, that seems very much in keeping with the spirit of today's theme and also the story of Radagast. And that's really all I had about that. I love that. It is a good thing. And speaking of Martha, a little ways back, I'm like, I I don't want to shill for Discovery, but if you ever want to spend like five bucks for a month of it and blow through, they have Martha Gets Down and Dirty and Martha Knows Best, which are these two shows that Martha Stewart is on that are basically all about her life on her like super fancy Hamptons farm. And holy fuck, it's absolutely a delight. Oh, uh, everything Martha does is delightful. (laughs) And it's like, I nothing makes, I I was going to say, I think it's so cute and weirdly wholesome that she's best friends with Snoop Dogg. Oh my God. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say her friendship with Snoop Dogg makes me so happy. It's like so unexpected. And yeah, but also makes sense. And delightful. It, It just, it really is delightful. Yeah, and he definitely has a cameo on, I think it's on Martha Gets Down and Dirty. Anyway, um, I fucking love Martha Stewart, too. So I know that we've covered marijuana already, though, in a previous episode that fell around 420. Um, But today's going to be slightly different because, you know, Nick and I were talking about doing something fun and a little silly for our 40s episode. Um, And I have to start by saying that if you live in a place where marijuana is currently illegal, we are not encouraging you to break the law. No, cer- Disclaimer. certainly not. We never, <laughs> and we do not break the law in our home states and or cities and never would. So. Exactly. Um, there's not a drop of sarcasm in there. Anyway, um, so onward though let's talk about getting stoned and doing magic y'all because everyone knows if you're listening to this by now like I consider myself a green witch but I feel like more and more there's this kind of like weed witch vibe that's been floating around that I'm digging it's the California air you know it's like it's like who like what kind of witches live in California beach witches weed witches and fucking forest witches yeah I'm definitely like becoming a bit of an urban weed witch but It really is like a magical herb for so many reasons, right? But something that I do think is kind of cool with it is if you smoke it using a bong, um, smoking it can also literally have representations of all four of the elements, if that's something that you're interested in for anything that you're doing magically. And on like a side note, I found a vendor through a fucking Instagram ad that got me. Um, But it's a vendor that makes like crystal bong bowls. Oh. And I want one so bad. It's like absolutely on my birthday list. Um, But anyway, I wanted to start by addressing some like, there's a lot of like BS new agey shit online, guys. And it's, it's everywhere. And I think especially being in California, God, sometimes the goopers of the world are truly exhausting. Um, But Since witch stuff has kind of also become aesthetic for some folks in the New Age community, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about how you should only do spell work when absolutely sober. And that's just not true. Like, I 
absolutely encourage everybody to be safe. And we don't want you guys to try any like heavy magics while you're like blackout or out of your mind. That there's nothing wrong with like smoking a joint under the full moon during a ritual or drinking a few glasses of wine while you're taking a magical bath. This is an example of this really gross overlap of like new age whitewashed wellness, quote unquote, that totally ignores like centuries of magical practice that very much supports people using various substances to induce visions or help them feel connected to the energies of the universe. So just like, don't let the Instagram like, well, like wellness, new age yogi witches make you feel bad about how you practice your magic. So a fun historical example, though, of, you know, the importance of substances in witchcraft is something that I think we're all probably familiar with. And that's the Oracle of Delphi and the priestesses of Apollo at a temple that were built around the sacred spring at Delphi would actually divine the future for visitors from all over the world. And people took this shit super seriously kings would literally like depend on the visions of these priestesses to decide whether or not to go to war so you know uh no pressure but there's this book called uses and abuses of plant-derived smoke and in that book they talk about how the priestesses would all sit on this tripod above a hole in the ground and these vapors would rise up from that hole and induce their in like help induce their visions and scientists are still uncertain of what exactly the vapors were there's some weird theories about like tectonic plates shifted and it was releasing methane and that was what was causing it and some people speculate that it might have been various like hallucinogenic herbs that were burned but all that to say clearly getting a little fucked up definitely was a thing for the priestesses of Apollo at the uh, temple at Delphi. And in that same book, The Uses and Abuses of Plant-Derived Smoke, they also note that the Gadi tribe of India's Himachal Pradesh state in the Western Himalayas um, smoked the resin of cannabis plants for the hallucinations it can induce because marijuana is a mild hallucinogen, but if you smoke enough of it, it's a hallucinogen still. Uh, And shamans and nobles from like China to Russia have been discovered buried with marijuana plants. So clearly, you know, cannabis has played a huge role in magical practices throughout history. And so why should we stop now? I always I always say about anything in life, if it's good enough for Rihanna, it's good enough for me. And she is, I think, probably the biggest female stoner icon. But the modern pagan renaissance at the turn of the 20th century, like, very much revolved around like absinthe and opium. And of course we know that we had this huge occult revival in the 1960s and seventies. So, you know, it's interesting that the current witch revival seems to be not super, you know, substance positive, I guess. I'm not sure the best way to say that, but it's interesting that there isn't a bigger movement around like drugs and alcohol and magic because that's tended to be the case historically and it's it's funny to me when you mention that because i've all all the witches i know personally i'll love to have a glass of wine you know it's like i go to my little full moon fire ceremony that we do and we're we're all having glasses of wine and it's like i you know it's not only is it good i mean also we're all smoking weed i'll tell you that much but it's it's part of it you know it's it's yeah. it's it's celebratory in nature and that's how we celebrate but 
I, I will say, you know, those fucking uh, culties that I know, which I, I'm still kind of scared to say which cult it is, but... I know, honestly, like, shit is blowing up with them. Um, but these people that I know that are in a cult and regularly post about it on social media about how it's not a cult, which you shouldn't have to say it's not a cult. <laughs> yeah, if you have to say it's not a cult a bunch, it's probably a cult. Are very much those, like, people that are like, you have to be sober to be a witch. And it's like, but then they... Uh, no. But then it's also <laughs> like they use that as almost like a recruiting tool to get like sober people into it and sell them their weird energy healing. Yeah. It's like, it's definitely a form of control and kind of just encouraging maybe people that are struggling with addiction to just change their addiction to uh, whatever this religion is. Right. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I just, I do find it interesting that when we think about historically, when we've had these witches revivals, there has been a lot of substance involved. So of course, it's like, one of the reasons people suggest is because, you know, marijuana is still illegal in most places, even though that's rapidly shifting, which is great. Um, you know, publishers, because of that, though, won't print books that recommend like weed for trance states or really any hallucinogens for that matter, because there's, you know, all of these legal issues around people being liable for, you know, someone breaking the law and fucking bumfuck nowhere because they read this book. Well, then they could sue the publishing company, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I don't know that I completely buy that because, you know, it wasn't like LSD and marijuana were legal in the 70s. I think marijuana was made illegal in the 30s. Yeah, it's like 1937. That's perfect. Yeah. So 1937. So marijuana wasn't legal in the 60s and 70s either. So I feel like that's kind of, I, I think I disagree with that theory that some people have put forth. I really do, to me, feel like the most likely culprit is this weird like wellness trend that's also very tied into the new age, like yogi movement, you know, like the goops of our time. The, the, the goops. Yeah, but, you know, more and more, I think people are talking about, like, how they do use weed in their magical practices if you go online, but I'm really ready for, like, more of an open conversation, and I do hope as, like, federal law rapidly seems to be approaching at least decriminalizing, maybe there will be able to be more open discussion, but it's something that I think is is really great, and also just, like, fuck off to all those people who insist you can only be a witch if you're 100% sober, so... I do need to take like a bit of a political detour because, you know, this is really important. And I know that as a white woman talking about how much I love smoking weed on my podcast that I film in Los Angeles, like I recognize how much immense privilege there is in this entire situation. And that has definitely not been extended to everyone historically. And there are so many people who are doing really important criminal justice advocacy work for the more than 40,000 people who are still imprisoned on cannabis-related charges, even in states where it has since been legalized. So what can you do to help with that? There's a really great organization called The Last Prisoner Project, who I, I adore them. And I really cannot recommend it enough that you get online and you read some of the amazing amazing work they've been doing and find out how to support them. It's It doesn't have to be monetary. You know, they have petitions you can sign to help get prisoners relieved. 
um, to help get prisoners released. They also have like basically a step-by-step manual on how to reach out to your representatives to, you know, advocate for the release of nonviolent cannabis offenders who are still imprisoned in your state. Um, And of course, though, it's, if you can afford it, money talks. And anytime you can make a gift, even if it's small, that is a really important way to support nonprofits. So um, I just needed to say that because it is insane to me that in an industry that is making billions of dollars, there would still be people in fucking prison for it. Like, what the fuck, criminal justice system. It's dumb because a lot of those legalization bills absolutely should include letting people out that are just in jail for weed charges. But it's actually so much more of a complex issue too because even in like Illinois where they did have that kind of language included in their legalization bill, when you go to prison... So let's say you are involved in a fight. Fights break out in prison all the time. Well, now you're not just in prison for the weed. You're also getting charges added all the time for shit like that. Yeah, criminal justice reform, I think, is one of the most urgent sociopolitical issues of our time. I don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, You know, we have this like school to prison pipeline. The monetization of fucking prisons is so gross, but um, that's not what we're here to talk about today. No, 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 so, no, no, no. <laughs> We'll get off our soapbox now, but again, it's called The Last Prisoner Project, and it's a really, really yeah. great organization that's doing so much good work, so I really highly recommend you guys checking them out. So I will now step down off the soapbox. So any of you witches out there who are interested in using a bit of your stoner time to also practice magic, you can think about a few different things. So first off, you can think about the alignment of different types of weed for like different types of magic that you're wanting to work on. Of course, your mileage may vary. So just be sure that you know how your body reacts to different strains before you attempt to do the magic while high. So for example, with me, I tend to really prefer the more energetic sativas or sativa-leaning hybrids, which with some people, that's where you experience a more like euphoric head high. Um, But again, there are plenty of people that don't have that experience with sativa. So these are good general guidelines, but get to know your body. But so with sativa, if you're thinking about this euphoric head high, for me, this is something I do when I'm spending time in my garden. And I've said it before, and I'll say it a million times, gardening is magic to me. So, you know, smoking a little bit, getting out in the garden, getting my hands in the soil, I can really like focus in. And it helps me feel really connected to the energies of the earth. And if that's not magic, I just, I don't fucking know what is. I feel like Yes, things with sativa that have that more euphoric bend are going to be really good for more active magic. And then if you're thinking about doing some like maybe intense meditation, or if you're someone who's able to safely astral project, or maybe you're, you know, trying to work some dream magic or even take a ritual bath, an indica could be a good choice there because the general consensus for indica is that most people experience that more as a body high and that can be really, really relaxing. So this could be something to help like ground you in your body while your mind wanders. So just kind of like a really off the top thing to think about. And if you're doing psychic work, plenty of people also say that smoking weed can help them 
sort of trust their visions, you know, uh, to help you get out of your own way. Because I think for a lot of us that are maybe a little bit more critical, especially those of us like me and Nick that have strong Virgo placements, sometimes I know I've had this experience where I'm doing psychic work and I very much feel like I'm getting a message, but then I just rationalize myself out of believing it. I don't know if anyone else out there has ever done that. Um, but this is a time when marijuana and being like a little stoned can serve you very well. And if you're a kitchen witch, uh, there are more and more ways to incorporate weed in the kitchen. And I love, there's some really great companies out here like Potly who make things like condiments and, you know, um, like spicy oils and things that you can use in the kitchen. And the great thing about this is you can actually dose it very specifically. So you know how much you're going to be getting in every meal. And I think that's always really important, just making sure you're safe, making sure you're dosing correctly. That way you're not getting to the point of being uncomfortable. So, you know, I think that something like Potly is a, a great company to look at for that. And obviously, I feel like smoking is a good choice for smoke cleansing. So, you know, maybe you want to light up after you've gone through and done your full like mundane house cleaning and walk through the home and use that smoke to cleanse and re-energize the space. Here, I would definitely suggest finding a strain that you enjoy the terpenes from, something that's going to smell nice to you. This might not be the place for the skunkiest weed that you have, unless you're into that. No shade. Um, you could also consider doing an herbal blend here, though. You can absolutely also like make your own herbal joints using marijuana or not even including cannabis. And you know, just make sure that you don't have any allergies before going into making your own smokable blends. Again, I'm not a doctor. Um, and if you want a pre-roll, I love Drew Martin's pre-roll joints because they're low dose and they have awesome herbs in them. It's like a really good joint for smoke cleansing. But if you're going to be doing your own, you can think about things like, you know, calendula, mint, rose petals, lavender, yerba santa. The Drew Martin pre-roll that I'm smoking right now has chamomile in it as well. So it's chamomile, yerba santa, and calendula in a pre-roll with some low-dose marijuana. And it's it's a really great way to incorporate like the magical properties of those herbs as well, in addition to the great benefits that you're going to get from doing magic while high. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about like the physical healing abilities of cannabis. Um, you can use CBD bath products and any of the magical baths you might take. Again, that's really going to help like relax your muscles. And I often find that the more relaxed I am when I'm doing magic, the more in tune I can be. You know, I'm a very high strung person. And so for me to get to that point of being able to connect to the energies, you know, around me, sometimes it takes a bit of work <laughs> to get to the point of being chill enough for that. Um, you could also think about using like a beautiful CBD lotion. There are some that are so good that feel amazing and maybe adding some essential oils to that to make like a custom blend. If you're doing some magic with like body oils, cannabis is also an aphrodisiac for some people. So if you're interested in doing like sex magic, this could be a really great way to incorporate weed, maybe also with your loved one. Because my, my favorite recommendation I saw actually was to use weed as like part of a group ritual, you know, sort of like puff, puff, pass with a group of witches to all get on the level before doing collective spell work, which I think sounds so fun. 
Um, and these are just like a few examples of what you can do with weed and magic. And I just want everyone to have a great time responsibly. I personally do enjoy getting stoned and, and practicing my craft. I think it's a really nice way to unwind. And at the end of the day, it is a plant. You know, there are a lot of really great properties to it. Um, and you can also think about like lighting it off of a candle and having the candle color coordinate to the spell work you're doing. Like you can go down a million different directions with this, but I just wanted to cover a few. So of course, I also want to list my sources. Obviously the uses and abuses of plant derived smoke. Um, Luna Luna Magazine's article by Moxie McMurder titled Weed Witchcraft. Also don't know that that's their real name, but what a fucking cool pen that name. That is such a fucking cool pen name. And I want to right? be friends with Moxie McMurder. Same. ASAP. Um, right. There's also um, a ritual with the High Priestess of Smoke article um, that was really great. How to use cannabis like a witch from the Miss Grass website. Sarah Leon's article on Vice.com titled Dank Magic, How Witches Use Weed in Their Craft. And of course, one of my very favorites, Paige Vanderbeck, um, she had an episode on the Fat Feminist Witch podcast where she talked about marijuana. And she also wrote an entire article on Kushcraft that is like incredibly thorough and inclusive of basically any question you might have. So I would definitely look that up. Right the end. on, <laughs> right on, stoned witches and yeah, someone needs to get us in touch with Mo- Moxie McMurder, uh, right? Moxie McMurder, or you know, um, we're definitely not getting paid by them. But if Drew Martin wanted to sponsor the podcast, that company, I would not turn you down, Drew Martin representative who might be listening. Yeah, so uh, I would, I would certainly take that uh, sponsorship myself. But so you guys got to talk about alcohol and magic. And I it seemed really appropriate here to include a classic Wands and Fronds disclaimer. If you have a serious drinking problem or choose to abstain, I cannot make it clear enough that this is in no way an endorsement of problematic drinking behavior. Personal responsibility is a huge part of witchcraft, and even though we might we may find these things useful, sacred, and even fun, there are always workarounds, and we would never encourage someone with alcoholism to flirt with temptation in a dangerous way. Uh, your patron gods and goddesses wouldn't want you to do that either. And snaps. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, one thing I did find very interesting in my research for this episode is that there are a lot of um, pagan and New Age rehabs out there now. Huh. Uh, that's awesome. I, Go for that. I actually did think that was very awesome because a lot of the 12 steps and a lot of uh, rehabs really focus on Christian God as part of, yeah. as part of the answer. And uh, that's not our cup of tea, so. Yeah, that doesn't work for everybody. So hopefully that's something that works for people. Yeah, and, but all of that to say, yeah, you know, like, we don't want you to get drunk if you are a problem drinker. Uh, You know, I don't think anyone wants that. So, but witchcraft and alcohol are truly an ancient combination. So we've got the ancient Egyptians who were huge beer heads, by the way, used to offer libations to the gods, 
to the dead people at funerals, to their crops, to their herds, and pretty much anything in their life that was important uh, gets an offering of beer. And this carried on as a cultural practice and spread to Northern Africa, the Middle East, and eventually reached Greece, where it spread to the rest of Europe. Uh, And Native Americans, meanwhile, before a white man even stepped foot anywhere near America, uh, were also doing libation pouring as well, and were using alcoholic drinks for libation pouring. Uh, Other examples of this would be olive oil, um, wine, just anything valuable, because the idea here is that you're, you're offering something of value for what you're getting, either from the spirits or the gods that you're devoting yourself to, or even just the land itself. And so technically speaking, anything that you sort of pour into the earth as an offering is a libation. So you're going to hear me use that word a lot in this uh, little section I'm doing. Um, And so the idea, again, is that what we take from the earth, what we petition our deities to help us with our magic with, we we want to pay them back. Uh, And, you know, it's almost like you want to pay them back while you're asking. It's like, hey, can you do me a favor? By the way, here's some delicious wine. Uh, and it's 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 almost like uh, the same vein as this sacred hospitality idea with Radagast. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like, if you help me move, I'll buy pizza and beer. Right. Exactly. So uh, for this, I wanted to dive in with some more. I mean, it's ancient connection between witches and wine and beer especially, but I kind of wanted to see what the modern takes on this are with modern witches and pagans. So I'm going to start with my favorite spicy adult beverage, whiskey. So Shannon, you know, I'm a big whiskey head and just kind of diving in here. It will come as a surprise to absolutely nobody that whiskey has strong fire energy what? Whoa! Shock. Right. Uh, Just kidding. But <laughs> no. So, so whiskey gets its delightful amber color and intense sweetness from aging inside of charred wooden barrels. So the char, of course, lending fire energy in and of itself, but doubly so when you consider that intense orange color that it provides. Uh, but did y'all know? That whiskey is good for energy cleansing and exorcism. Uh, I did not know that it was good for exorcism. I love when that one shows up. Yeah. So um, recommended for how to do that um, is you can anoint your windows. You can anoint your doors. And the lower level of your home is especially important when you're clearing negative spirits and bad vibes. Uh, Kind of the idea being that they come from down below, right? Bad spirits come from what Christians would call hell. Uh, So there's your your sort of whiskey energy cleaning. Uh, But also I read quite a few anecdotes that the Fae, I mean, think about it. A lot of the legends of the Fae come from Ireland and Scotland where they love whiskey and supposedly the Fae love whiskey as well and will do you small favors 
like encouraging your seedlings or returning small lost objects in return for little fairy-sized shots. So for all the fae lovers out there, a, sh- a shot of whiskey for the fae. Um, but whiskey also has powerful ties to change and transformation and can be used as a base for potions used to help you change and transform. So uh, kind of thinking along the lines of if you're trying to move on from a bad habit or if you are stuck in a rut with your writer's block and you have resorted to magic, whiskey might come through for you. Uh, you know, and, and not even to say, like, be Ernest Hemingway about it and just be blackout drunk all day because that's what you need to do to write. No, we're talking about doing magic with whiskey, not yeah, ju- not just getting drunk on whiskey. Uh, I mean, that's one way to go, but that's not what we're recommending here. Not what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, but I would say in the same spirit as, like, clearing negative spirits and energy you would also want to consider whiskey for banishing things. So if, for instance, you have tried something that we recommend, um, doing a sweetening jar on someone that you find particularly unpleasant, and it didn't work as well as you wanted it to, and you need to up the ante and get a bitch out of your life without resorting to murder, a banishing jar with whiskey might come in clutch. Because we don't want to hurt anyone. I love that, though. It makes so much sense because, you know, alcohol has that, like, antiseptic, like, cleansing property. So it totally tracks that it would, like, get that bad, gross, bacterial human out of your life. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of which, whiskey originally was medicinal. And in that vein... Wait, I'm sorry. You mean it's not anymore? Because someone needs to tell Nana. (laughs) Well, uh, I, I mean, and she's not wrong because a hot toddy will cure what ails you. That's for fucking Every sure. time. But also, you know, if you're doing emotional healing work and trying to recover from emotional wounds, that kind of medicinal affinity that whiskey has is something that you should really think about. And it would be a good place to use that. I, and again, I'm not talking about drinking because of to make your feelings go away. I'm talking about using whiskey in magical applications for those reasons. So I'm going to keep saying it. We're not encouraging you to get wasted. We're talking about magical ways that you can use these drinks. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Drink responsibly. Please drink responsibly. Uh, But so this brings me to my second favorite spicy adult drink, which is gin. Uh, And so gin has this, I think it's great. Like a heavenly flavor from being infused with so many fucking botanicals. Uh, And obviously we at Wands and Fronds are all about the gin. It's botanical flavored liquor. And it's basically a potion in and of itself with so many high quality herbalism herbs in it. Uh, But because of all these delicious herbs, it is safe to say that gin where whiskey has a fiery energy, gin has very big earthy girl vibes. Uh, And since the primary flavor is usually juniper, gin will be very good with anything involving purification. Ah, there we go. Uh, Oh, I love that. Well, and did you know that, um, I don't know if you had seen it, 
but I saw an ad the other day. Hendrix has actually released a lunar gin as well. Oh, I love that. Because their midsummer gin was awesome and very botanical. But just to like throw that in there on the gin topic, there's like a lunar Hendrix apparently that has come out. I mean, I and I'm sure it's great. Midsummer is great. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a Bombay Sapphire or a Tanqueray lady, uh, but you know that's fair that's fair Hendrix was always my gin of choice because it's very very floral mm, mm-hmm. and yeah I like the uh the tankeray because it's got like kefir lime in it mm, or no it's like mm-hmm. ranker lime anywho it's like lime leaf it's anyway. like lime leaves though <laughs> so it's got that kind of like very citrusy vibe I did text you a link so you can see the lunar wine oh, or the lunar gin cool. I mean uh but no so since the since we're talking like purification with gin i'm thinking like adding some gin like a splash to your magical floor wash because i know that is something a lot of witches already do is have like a magical floor wash so gin for purification also some of those gins just smell really nice uh so just a thought uh gin is also useful in useful in health spells so the intention of the herbs is for improving your health and digestion with gin, or initially it was, kind of the similar thing with whiskey. Uh, obviously, you know, I don't think it's it's healthy to drink a bunch of gin, but the idea is that the herbs were there for health. Uh, so if you're doing spells for your health or for a loved one's health, like gin is a good addition. It's going to be a good addition to those. Um but also, you know, I'm just kind of wanting to talk about, like, my personal impression of gin. I feel like gin is a mom drink, which makes me think this would be a good choice of libation to honor, like, a mother goddess or even, like, a maternal ancestor. And I mean, I think on that note, the moon, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the moon is kind of a wino. But that's, again, that's, like, my personal... Oh, no, for sure. But I mean, in that, like, mother goddess, yes, I always feel moon, that energy yes. from the moon, too. And, you know, not to say that men don't drink gin. I drink gin. But it really does just seem like a mother's drink. Uh, and I, I think the comedian Dylan Moran said it hilariously. But uh, gin is a drink that middle-aged women drink on the stairs in a bathrobe. I mean, there's no lie there. No lies detected, right? Uh and so, yeah, I think there's something about that energy. So if that's the kind of work that you're doing, gin would be a good libation to offer. Uh, and also, moving on to another favorite spirit of mine, rum. Specifically dark rum. I do not care for white rum. Uh but rum just always me- makes me think of that 151 rum. Oh, yeah, I sent you that the other <laughs> night. Speak- you did. Speaking of sippin' 40s and having a, sippin having a little throwback jam, that song uh, is also a throwback to that era of yeah. our lives. We also made that drink, the 151 rum, pineapple juice, and Malibu. Was it for my birthday? I, I think it anyway. was for your birthday, but... Uh, yeah, we were wit. Tech nine. We were, what a time. That, that that drink is too strong. I will tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, the yes, pineapple is. juice is not bringing a lot to the table when you've got the like 151 proof rum. 
Uh, yeah, the pineapple juice just makes you think you're not drinking really intense amounts of rum. Right. Uh, but no, so, but rum literally comes from the Caribbean islands, and it is made from a plant that is mostly water, so this is gonna have strong water energy. Uh, so, and jokes aside, it is also heavily associated with the real-life history of piracy in that part of the world, which sort of doubles down on the water vibe as well. I mean, yes, we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean, so... You know, save your Jack Sparrow jokes for uh, after we're done. Uh, but yeah, we can't pretend that Pirates of the Caribbean wasn't a bi awakening for a lot of young bisexuals of a certain age. So very much so. No shade. Uh, but okay, rum is recommended for money spells and spells involving material gains, which kind of th- makes you think of the piracy thing, right? Uh, at least to me, like I don't know. That's the connection I'm making in my head. No, I see it. I see it. Uh, and rum is made from sugarcane. So speaking of sweetening jars, I think rum would be a great addition to a sweetening jar. Ooh, I think that would be great. And I mean, if you just have rum and you don't have honey or something, I feel like rum could just be the sweetening part of it too. Right, because rum is very sweet. And again, it's made from fucking sugarcane. So I feel like it's a natural substitute for, for honey or simple syrup or whatever you're using. Uh, which, you know, why go out for fresh ingredients? Maybe you've got something in your bar cart that could help is kind of the idea of this whole segment. Um, and you know, we love to, we love to tell people substitutions. So it's like, I know, I feel like this is, I mean, the bar cart can also be treated kind of like your spice cabinet. Like we say all the time, it's like, what do you have on hand? What do you have on hand? Well, if you're like me, you probably have a few nice bottles sitting around. Yeah, I have like a a tiny like quarter bottle of vodka because I got vodka to make a liniment for my herbalism course. So right. it's like, I feel like everyone has something like that around and you can use it for magic, which is awesome. Right. And uh, which brings us to the next spirit, which is actually one that you mentioned earlier. And I'm not exactly thrilled by the taste of this, but... oh. It's it's kind of like gin in that it already has strong herbal elements infused into it, and it's basically a potion on its own. We're talking about absinthe. Yeah, and I fucking love the licorice taste of absinthe. I know it's not everyone's cuppa, but I, pers- I feel like absinthe is one of those things you either really like the flavor or you don't. Right. And I really like it. So this sort of trippy tipple has heavy air energy and the flavoring of wormwood gives it all the magical uses that you would expect from using fresh wormwood. Uh, So the most specific use for absinthe that I've seen, magically speaking, is to draw a protection sigil on yourself in absinthe using your finger before attempting astral projecting. Uh, So it's, it's, it's a protective energy. Uh, but it's it's also used in spells for calling spirits and increasing your psychic powers. So I think absinthe would do well with this kind of work. And it's also, you know, the wormwood is a mild hallucinogen, so they say, uh, which is why it's heavily favored by artist types. Uh, so, you know, if you're petitioning for creativity, for creative projects, I think absinthe would be 
a great one as well. Um, yeah. But or if you're hosting like a really intense like costume party where you're all going to pretend to have a seance at the turn of the century. <laughs> also very cool. Also a perfect use for absinthe. And right. But so one thing that I thought was cool. And the whole reason absinthe is even on here, because I personally don't like it, is that Wormwood has a very well-known association with Artemis. And everyone who listens to this podcast knows that Artemis is a darling of Wands and Fronds. We stand. And don't forget to light your candle on the sixth day of the lunar cycle. Uh, But while you're doing that, you could libate some absinthe Artemis's way. Uh, as or make it part of the candle dressing for that matter. But mm. while we're talking... Or you could light your magical joint on the candle. You could light your magical joint on the candle. But while we're on the topic of dressing a candle with absinthe, you do want to make sure the alcohol has time to evaporate before you light it. That is a real-life tip for me. Uh, yeah, please don't, uh, please don't light yourself on fire, guys. Yeah, and it doesn't take long. Um... You know, think about doing a banana's foster. If you don't light it in time, all the alcohol will evaporate. Uh, li- listen to me. I'm like, yes, because people make bananas foster at home all the time, don't they? In, in, I'm, in, I'm pretty sure, yeah. In, 20, right? in 2021, uh, that very complicated brandy-based dessert is... Um, oh my god, honestly though, I've eaten bananas foster pretty recently because... Rob likes to make it all the time. Of course Rob likes to make bananas foster. It's so right. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. But so that was that was my section on spirits. And I've kind of circled around, save the best for last, or like my personal favorites for last, wine and beer. So wine is like the witchcraft classic. It has that deep, almost bloody color. If you're a red, I'm a red wine guy. Sometimes a rosé guy. I don't fuck with white wine. So I... And that's fair. That's fair. When I'm... When I am drinking, I do... I was really anti-white wine until I lived in California. And I am going to say that's one thing that California changed my mind on. But I think it's just because really good white wine is done out here on the West Coast. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But, so wine is the witchcraft classic. It's got that bloody color, which looks cool as fuck fuck in a chalice on your altar uh it's a great libation for the earth if you're asking for a bountiful harvest which was a very traditional libation that they would do in greece uh and the tradition of doing a toast started with wine so it's good for blessing things like we bless the new year with wine we break a bottle of champagne on a freshly built ship we pop a cork when we get promotions at work. So I would say spell work involving blessings or glow ups, wine. I feel like if you're doing some sort of glow up work, it should be champagne, though. Uh, yes. Uh, or, or, <laughs> I mean, not a hard and fast rule. I just feel like for a glow up, I'm like, yes, champagne for that. So Yeah, it's like if you're trying to get that promotion at work or, you know, whatever, a glow up. You know, pop a little bottle of champagne. And yeah. I, I was saying earlier, I do personally tend to associate wine with the moon. And I would say that there is something like truly indescribably magical about drinking a nice glass of red 
while looking up at the full moon. I have done this many times. And, you know, I've mentioned on here before that the moon is one of my top, like, patron goddesses. So I would libate to her for sure. Like, let's be honest. The moon is a bad bitch. Oh, hell yeah. The moon is a bad bitch. And pour one out for the moon. Pour one out for the moon. And I would say a a magical and frankly non-magical use for wine is stress relief. So this is the part where I am encouraging you to have a glass of wine. If you're trying to do spell work for stress relief, wine is a good option. If you don't partake, you could use it as an ingredient in a spell for stress relief. But just drinking a glass of wine will really take the edge off. So it's kind of magical, non-magical. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a reason that one of my, a colleague I worked with who I was friends with, uh, in her first pregnancy, her doctor told her in the third trimester, he was like, just have a glass of wine once in a while. The stress is worse for you and the baby than any little bit of alcohol could be. And yeah, you know, it's like, they really kind of uh, eased up on that a lot yeah, you know because yeah. it's like they told my sister the same thing when she was pregnant and it's it's a healthy pregnancy it's the third trimester have a fucking glass of wine yeah i like that we definitely are are starting to come to some more reasonable conclusions after being very insane about like women's bodies for forever yeah well and you know it's like i've worked in restaurants for years and have seen Pregnant women enjoying a glass of wine with dinner responsibly, and those kids are fine, the moms are fine, but you know, it's like you'd have coworkers being like, uh, should we, should you even be serving her? Wow. And it's like, it's none of my fucking business, first of all. No. Uh, and second of all, like, Yeah. It's none of my fucking business. I don't need a second thing. So there we go. Right? Uh, but okay, so we got to talk about beer. I saved beer for last. I work at a brewery now. We couldn't have an episode about sipping 40s without talking about the magical properties of beer. Beer is an ancient drink. Some would even say beer is the oldest drink that is not water because the ancient Egyptians had a very simple recipe for wheat beer that is thousands of years old and actually predates drinking tea. I love this because now all I can think about is Egyptian frat boys playing beer pong. Oh my, and you know, they did, you know, they did, (laughs) Um, but no. So beer has this big, like hearth keeper energy magically speaking and so what they would recommend to use beer magically is spells involving the family and your home and like the down-to-earth practical concerns of life uh so obviously huge earthy energy uh i would say brewing beer is literally one of the world's oldest professions as well and it was often a whole community effort because it was seen as like a life necessity. People used to get diseases from drinking water out of rivers. I know. It's like, what a time when beer was genuinely healthier for you than water often. Right. And so, but if you think of that tradition, uh, it brings the community together. You know, it's like the farmers are in on it. 
the wives are in on it. You know, the people from the town are in on it. Because if you're making these big batches of beer with the harvest, then you have your beer for the winter. And it's like, sort of represents this tight-knit community. And it's, it's like bread in that way. So when we think about like the magical associations of bread, it's about the hearth. It's about the home. It's about your family. Bread has the same ingredients as beer. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's really a no-brainer to connect the two. Uh, and I, I think any spells involving, like, your family or your home, beer would be a nice addition. Uh, and, you know, I, I honestly, it's like working at the brewery, I just love the smell of it. It's alive. It's a living thing. It's like, you know, it's... Yeah. No, and I was, I would say too, if you're someone who maybe doesn't drink, um, kombucha, I think is a perfect substitute here. I mean, it has like low levels of alcohol in it, but it's like, if you homebrew kombucha, I feel like that's, yeah, just such the same vibe. It's very much the same vibe. And you know, it's like when we're talking about beer, this does include malt liquor. It's basically the same thing. And since the episode is sipping 40s, you know, it's like malt liquor is what a 40 is. Uh, we consumed way too much Old English. It, I, oh, I, I would still say in the Old English versus Mickey's debate, which has raged on since time immemorial, Old English wins. Yeah. Mickey's yeah. does not have flavor. Uh, and I like flavors. Um, I always just felt like Mickey's was just skunky. It's, and that was all. It's skunky. But it's... But that's but all. But that's all. <laughs> and yeah, don't like Mickey's. Oldies all the way. And yeah, so that's that was uh, that was magical alcohol. Um, I love it. And you know, it's like, I think we did that well. Didn't come across as like... Off, you know, frat boy party, uh, and lo- lots no. of good little, lots <laughs> of good little tidbits in there. Hopefully, and I mean, obviously, you guys should all write in and tell us if you use, you know, alcohol or weed in your craft. Like, tell us about it, or if you think we're fucking morons for doing this, we'd also love to hear. Yeah, that. we'd love to hear some <laughs> feedback. And I have some choice words for you if you call us fucking idiots, though. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Nick's gonna fight you. I'm gonna fight you. I've had too much to drink. Um, (laughs) But no, so this is, you know, the bitter end, you guys. And actually, we're ending on a very positive note uh, with our taroscope, which is for Pisces this week. So, and it's the Two of Wands. So the Two of Wands is telling me that you were in the planning stages of something new and exciting, which is very cool for you. And it means that you've set your sights on something specific and you are figuring out how to make it happen. So this is a time to figure out what the dangers and pitfalls are going to be along the way because your plan is going to be your most important tool to succeed once you have started your journey. Uh, So it's like Mm. literally going to be the roadmap to get you where you want to be. So take the time. Pla- that is a delicious message. Plan it out. Okay. You're going to 
be better in the long run for taking the time to do this now uh, rather than playing it by ear. But, you know, I would say Pisces don't seem to struggle with the impulsivity as much as, say, an Aries or a Sagittarius would. Um, yeah. And so I think this will be easy for you, but it is something to keep in mind. And, you know, all signs point to this being a successful venture for you. Um, and Yeah, that that's like... It, I'm excited to talk to you like offline because obviously with my Pisces moon and I read this, it feels super spot on. So I hope that other people that have strong Pisces placements are feeling that because it is such a sweet message. Oh yeah. And that's the bitter end y'all. So I, you know, as always, I think we do want you guys to subscribe. If you haven't already leave a review, if you haven't already, uh, hit us up on email, wantsandfriendspod at gmail.com. We'd love that. Hit us up on yeah. Instagram at wantsandfriendspod. And I know you guys have been out there watching Shannon on the reels. <laughs> I have never felt so old in my life as working on putting together reels, but it has been really fun. So I hope that people like them. Um and if you have feedback on the reels, also let me know because we're elder millennials. So new technology is not always as easy as it once was. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like it's like we know people are watching. So, I mean, if we have any new listeners this week because of that, welcome. Yeah. Also, let us know. And on the note, though, of um, speaking of what Nick was saying earlier with rating and reviewing, if you can leave us like an actual written review on Apple Podcasts, that's something that helps us a lot. I know it takes just a few extra minutes, but, you know, the the rating with the numbers is great. But if you actually take a few seconds to go in there and write something out, that helps because it makes things a little bit more visible on the silly algorithm game. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, you don't have to write a novel, but if you like, no. if you like it, you could just say you like it. Yeah. That doesn't seem hard at all. You can write something saucy about Nick. You could write something publicly. saucy about me publicly. And then I will come to your house and fight you. How, and how <laughs> cool would that be if internationally recognized podcaster Nick Paul came to your house <laughs> and fought you. You know, that'd be a story to tell your grandkids. It would be an honor. Uh, but no, we love you guys so much. And to yeah. all of the drunk witches out there. And to all of the stoned witches out there, blessed be witches. Blessed be bitches. Bye now. G- goodbye. Oh my god. Yes. Duh. Uh, I'm gonna have to put a fucking timer in here for the two of us not to sit here for three minutes on air fucking. Uh, Trying to remember <laughs> the word sodomite.